your Bibles to Philippians 4. This is the practical section of this great book of the Bible. And this morning, I don't know of a more practical way that we could be addressing how to live the gospel than to talk about the topic of anxiety, anxiety, of worrying. I know that most of you are exempt from that experience and that you've never worried about anything, but you know, for those of you whom, for whom this applies, I'm speaking from your heart to mine this morning. Um, worry is a common sin. It's a common experience, right? Am I speaking to you yet? I mean, we, this is something that is a very brass tacks where the rubber meets the road type issue. Worry is a real part of what we battle as human beings here on earth. In fact, the scripture says over and over again a command that addresses the issue of worry, and that command is fear not. Fear not is the most repeated command in one form or fashion, most repeated command of any of the commands in the 66 books of the Bible. God is very clearly speaking to all who are his the message that we are not supposed to worry. You say it's impossible. The causes of worry are too numerous, right? We have family issues to worry about. We have money matters and issues to worry about. We have needs that we don't know how they're going to be figured out that we have to worry about. I mean, worrying is my part-time job, right? I mean, I work and then I worry and, you know, uh, worrying is just... It's part of most people's experience in one form or fashion. They're either worrying or some people are worrying about how much they worry, right? I mean, they worry about being worriers. I mean, there, there is a lot to this. And people worry about the future. They worry about the present. They worry about their past. People worry about their health. They worry about you know, their poor health or their health is too good to be true and so it's going to fall off health. There, there's a lot to worry about. People believe that worrying comes from the outside within and we know contrary to that that worrying comes from the inside in our own hearts and is dealing with what's on the outside. Worry affects our health. It, it locks people up. A lot of people experience forms of somaticism or bodily shutdown because of worry. They are experiencing emotional paralysis because of worry. You might be worried that we're going to be talking about worry from the scripture this morning. Worry is a real part of our lives. I'm guilty as charged. I will confess to you that, you know, I have worried quite a bit in my 41 years so far. I'm a high energy person, and so I'm either energized in the spirit or energized in the flesh. And one of my proclivities, one of my downfalls in my Christian experience is worrying, is disobeying this command not to be anxious that we're going to be looking at this morning. Anxiety, it's emotional, it's physical. It makes us sleepless, right? There are times where I'm sure if you're worrying, if you're participating in this extracurricular activity at 2 in the morning, you wake up and you go, oh, I got still four more hours to sleep. And your body goes, psych. And so you just, you don't sleep, right? Because you're worrying. And that, that catapults your day into more worrying. So these are real issues and real matters. And I'm not saying that, wow, we're going to, 
immediately say that there's no trials or tribulations in our life or we need to have some sort of clever psychological sermon to ignore or escape the issue of burdens. It's not that. It's what do you do when you begin to worry? And what does the scripture specifically identify that you're supposed to do when you worry? That's what we need to find out about because the scripture actually gives the remedy. Jesus gives the remedy for worry. And the scripture will bring us to a place where we have to say to ourselves honestly, am I going to have a witness of joy as a Christian where I believe that Jesus wins over this sin or am I going to be a worrier? Worry affects our witness. If you're a worrier, you're basically saying publicly that the gospel isn't powerful enough to help me not worry or that Jesus doesn't care about me enough or equip me enough to beat worry. So our job as believers individually and corporately is to say, no, Jesus wins the battle of worry. That's what Paul is doing here. Paul is trying to protect the witness of a church here. And this witness of the church, it should be our witness, where we have a witness of joy, not a witness of falling prey to the sin of anxiety. One guy was talking about um, the global media effect of worry. How, look, you know, we have so much um, access to the world and the world's problems that how in the world could a command like this to be anxious for nothing apply? Isn't that standard a little bit too high? I mean, it's kind of laughingly unrealistic. We hear about the bombings at the Boston Marathon. I heard about them seconds after they happened. I was on the East Coast. I was spending some time with a friend at Liberty University. People bust in the door. Guess what just happened? It's on the screens, you know, it's, and it's here. I was, I was watching a, a TV show uh, of a church service that was on television where I, I said, kids, look in the choir. That's your Uncle Mark. He's right. I mean, we're all so connected globally now. I've preached sermons before where I've had people say, you know, I was prompted by the Spirit and I began to text something to someone across the country to get something right with God. I mean, there's sort of the blessing of technology and the cursing of technology because we know about everybody's issues. We live life not in days but in seconds with people in terms of issues to be concerned about so being flooded with those concerns could tempt you to say I can't obey something like this like that was good for them back then but for me today no way I mean 800 years ago um, you know in the feudal system the medieval times people didn't even know what their king really looked like because most people working in the field hadn't seen a painting of the king, so they had to like kind of wrestle with images like that. These days, we know what's going on in everybody's world. And the issue is, will we worry about things or not? Will we sin or will we seek God's remedy? And I want to tell you, listen, I have read Philippians for 20 years, and investigating it in this way gave me a very believable very practical, very, um, I think, spiritually led path for how to address worry in my own life. And I think this will be helpful for you and yours. Very important. Let me read it to us, Philippians 4. And I'm going to begin at verse 4 and read through verse 7. Philippians 4, 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. 
the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Just to put this command to be anxious for nothing in context, I want to just remind us of last week's lead-in message where I framed this section of Scripture in an outline that is building common ground as a church. That's what Paul is wanting to do. He wants the church to be on good, solid foundation as he's a pastor to them. He wants them to be solid in unity. He wants them to be solid in terms of living out the gospel. He wants them to be solid in terms of relationships with each other. He wants them to be solid in terms of their witness before a watching world. He wants them to be solid. And remember, we framed the outline on three words. Remember them? In the Lord. Let's say it together. In the Lord. There's common ground here. Look at this in verse 1. The command, stand firm thus in the Lord. Verse 2, talking about Yodia and Sintichi. They are to agree in the Lord. In verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. This is the common ground we have in the gospel that Paul's talking about. We're in the Lord. And so we've got to have a good witness together in the Lord. That's what he's talking about. The outline is as follows. Our common ground, it yields three results. Number one, a strength of resolve. We're standing firm in the Lord emotionally. We're standing firm. We're not giving up. We're being strong together. How? In the Lord. Number two, a common ground produces strong relationships. We talked about Yodia and Sintichi. They were two that were godly women's, uh, women in the church. They had partnered in the gospel together. And they had the same Lord, they have the same gospel, and they have the same friend, which is their yoke fellow who was going to help them work out an issue of disagreement. And then in verse 4, Paul builds into this common ground the idea that our common ground is actually our witness to the world. And that's point three here. Our common ground projects a strong witness. How? Through consistent joy. Rejoice in the Lord how often? Sometimes when it's good, bad, no, all the time. Rejoice always, standard high, okay? This is another one of those moments where you're going, yeah, I'm going to grip my teeth and kind of smile and wave. That's great for you, Pastor. Rejoice in the Lord. I'm glad for that. No, I mean, that's the standard of what we're supposed to be in our witness. Even in the toughest, most difficult times of life, joy is paramount. Joy is important. And then secondly, joy that's outspoken. Verse 5, let your reasonableness, this could be translated gentleness, be known to everyone. We're supposed to communicate that we have joy in our lives, that we're not flapped around and flip-flopping around in our faith and emotions. We're trusting God. And even if, you know, life's a roller coaster ride, we come back to say, God, you're in control and you're coming again. The Lord, look at this in verse 5, the Lord is at hand. So you're, you're saying that. You know God is coming back again. And probably more specifically here as I've meditated on this passage, what Paul is saying is that you have Jesus right there with you. Why, why can we rejoice when times are good or bad? Jesus is with you. Jesus is your friend. You know Jesus. He's at hand. It's the same teaching that uh, Jesus taught himself to here on earth, to his flock at the Sermon on the Mount, where he's saying, listen, 
God will provide for your needs. He'll provide for clothing. We read it earlier. He'll provide um, food. He'll provide shelter. He, you know, he arrays the lilies of the field like King Solomon. I mean, he's got you. Why? Because your heavenly father knows your needs. Paul's building into the same thought here. He's reflecting on Jesus' teaching there in the Sermon on the Mount, and he's applying it to this church saying, listen, Jesus is with you. He's at hand. He's at hand. He's accessible. He's right there. That's why you can have joy. That's why you can have gentleness in your life. That's why you can treat people with an openness about your faith. Why? Because Jesus is there with you. That's your stability. And all of that is interconnected with this next command, which is a negative command, which you're not supposed to do. Be joyful, be gentle, be a witness, and don't be anxious. How do we do that? Well, the remedy is here. The remedy to anxiety. A lot of people, you know, they, they take prescription drugs. People escape. People go play. People, people pay a lot of money to deal with anxiety, right? People, people will do anything they can do to alleviate the problem of anxiety. But the scripture is clear in exactly what to do. And I, I had not seen it this specifically and this clearly until this week. I'm going to tell you, it's powerful in terms of an investigation of verse 6 and verse 7 in terms of what to do with anxiety. And this is, you know, look, God made you. He made emotion. He made the mind, the will, and the emotions. He made your brain. So we need to listen to the chief architect of how we're made for how to deal with anxiety and take him at his word. Let's try. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Number one, we've got to start with the standard. We're not supposed to be anxious about certain categories and not, you know, not anxious about some and anxious about others. We, anxiety is, you know, not something where you have, you know, a free card to be anxious about this but not about that. We're supposed to wholesale not worry. Sound ridiculous? It does, doesn't it? You're not supposed to worry. Some of us are professional worriers. We're not supposed to do it. The, the no on this is so emphatic, too. Here's a couple references where the same don't word is used in other contexts. Like, don't be anxious. That word, maiden, it's definitive. 1 Timothy 5.14 is where Paul is saying to the church, he's saying, look, don't lay hands on young women and say you're widows indeed. Don't finance widows who have not proven themselves spiritually because they will want to get married again passions will stir it'll be a disaster they'll lead people astray or they'll be led astray even by satan himself and he says give no occasion for the devil in this strong language it's a it's not just you know maybe no no it's no you can't do it and then acts 13 where the pastor is preaching about the testimony of Christ and what happened to him and how the, the injustice of him going to the cross is found in these words. They found no grounds, this is talking about the courts against Jesus going to the cross, they found no grounds for putting him to death. That's the no word here. There's several others. It's, you can't do this. There, this is a no option thing to be anxious. And you got to start with that standard for the rest of the verse to apply to your life. You've got to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you at your word. I'm not supposed to do this. That's where you got to start. How do we, how do we go from there? 
One, one person put it this way, just to shock the crowd. One of the persons I was reading, he said that worrying is unconscious blasphemy. It's, you're saying, I don't believe God or Jesus wins in the battle of anxiety. It's unconscious blasphemy. It's saying, God, you're really not real in my life. That's what it means to worry. What do we do with this? How do we send the world the message that Jesus wins in the battle of anxiety? It's easy to complain, but let's look at the answer. The answer begins at the end of verse 6, and I love how the verse rushes to the answer. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but then there's a rushing towards the rescue of what you are supposed to do. By contrast, but... Look at this. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Number one, don't worry about anything. Number two, pray about everything. I say, what does that look like? You're just going to say, okay, I'm supposed to beef up my prayer life. Okay, I worry a lot. I'm supposed to beef up my prayer life. That's how I've read this text until I looked at the specifics of this text. This text is very specific in how you are supposed to pray. It says in general, by prayer, but in everything by prayer. But then it adds to that general term about praying with the word supplication. What does that word mean? It means to request things of God. It means to say to your, to your God, the only true God, I need your help. And I need your help not in days or in hours, but in seconds and nanoseconds, in milliseconds. I need you, God, in a prayer dependence that's ongoing. It's praying specifically about your request to God. It's, it's having prayer requests that are real-time, that aren't just the big things, aren't just the things that you say, well, here's the grand, large things that I'm going to pray about, you know, about people's salvation in general or my kids in general. God, please save them. God, or even, even superficial things. Thank you for the food or thank you for my church or thank you for missionaries. That's not going to deal with your anxiety. It's, God, I don't know how I'm going to get up this morning and Lord, help me put one foot out of my bed. That's, that's what this is talking about. It's supplication prayer where you pray in the small things the things that seem mundane, the, th- the things that seem insignificant, the things that seem like they don't matter. Lord, help this conversation go well. Lord, as I'm having this conversation, I'm starting to feel anxiety. And Lord, I want that anxiety to go away. So Lord, help me to speak the right words right now. Help me to do the right thing. I've got a choice to make. Lord, help me make the right decision right now. Lord, help me. I did this. I made a phone call this week, and I was anxious about it, and I thought, well, I could worry for five minutes, or I've just been praying and and researching about how I'm not supposed to worry, so I'm going to pray about the phone call. Jesus, will you please help me make the right, you know, opening in my phone call? Will you please guide the words as I speak these words, these very important words to this person? Will you please help me? You know, I got to go talk to my wife, or I got to talk to my child. Lord, Will you please guide this conversation right now? I'm, I, I've got something in my heart, and this is 1 Peter 5, 7. 
casting all your burdens before the Lord. It's like where you take a prayer concern, an issue in your heart, and you cast it on the Lord. You say, Lord, as, as I'm walking through this day, I'm casting it before your feet. You're casting it into the bosom heart of God and saying, God, as John Calvin put it, I'm not made of iron. I'm not that strong. Lord, be strong for me. I'm casting my cares upon you. Why? Because I know you care for me. And you're, you're sort of putting your relationship on the line all the time. On display all the time. i got to have this conversation. got to make this decision. Gotta got to do this or don't do this. Lord, help me, help me, help me, help me. That's supplication. That's entreating the throne of God. That's 1 Thessalonians. I think it's 5.17. It's 1 Thessalonians 5 for sure, but it's pray without what? See, see, I used to think, well, how do you do that? You know, is that just ramped up discipline on steroids that you just have to try to live under the obligation to do that? Is it prayer consciousness where you're kind of like, you're praying while you sleep? I mean, what, what is that? That's this. It's a constant casting. I mean, yes, we need to worship God. Yes, we need to tell God how great he is. Yes, we need to pray intercessorily as people ask for prayer. But we need to pray in this sort of prayer casting consciousness where you say God help me help me with this help me to do well help me to give you glory in my countenance in my speech in my attitude I've got a bad attitude okay I'm casting this upon you help me it's the idea that when the anxiety begins to fill you have a way to get rid of it through praying do you need to pray more here's the question you need to ask yourself do I need to pray more how do you know if you need to pray more well are you anxious about anything is there anxiety in your life then if the answer is yes about anything that's the standard you're not supposed to be anxious about anything so so how do you get rid of it you you pray about it and give it to god you just you're a constant giver to god your issue i had a roommate in college you know i was from the south he was from Pennsylvania and uh, the north, um, north to me then, and he just, he was raised in a way, and I hate to blame Pennsylvania for that, but I can't get away from it. He was raised in a way that he just did not want to be helped. He was this, you know, he broke his leg, and he's kind of athlete on crutches. I'm, let me carry your book back. No, no, I don't want you to help me. I got my stuff. You know, you're going to fall, you know, but I think in the Christian life, we do that, right? No, no, I don't, God, you know, I don't want your help. I'm good. I got it. I mean, how ridiculous is that, right? And so we say, I got it. I'm going to carry my own pack. I'm going to carry my own burden right now. And Jesus is saying, no, the Lord is at hand. I'm right here with you. Just, just throw the stuff out of the, give me the backpack. That's what this is talking about. And that's what takes anxiety away. Who wants to live an anxious life here? Anybody? None of us do. None of us really do. We want to give it away. And that's the answer. Do not be anxious, but in everything all things everything this is what john calvin called it in latin he said in omni negotio in every matter trust god give it to god look at first peter i gotta turn over there first peter chapter five this is the parallel text this is exactly what peter is doing just like paul he's trying to give the same teaching in his own way in this context just like paul had a context he's applying the teachings of christ where he's saying verse six humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of god so that at the proper time he may exalt you watch this casting 
all, not some, you know, casting a few anxieties, casting anxieties here and there. When anxiety hits fever pitch, then get in a casting mode. No. What's humility look like? What's the recognition that God's almighty and on the throne? It's when you're a casting all your anxieties on him kind of person who recognizes that God cares for you. Look at this. Because he cares for you. Why do you cast? Because you're recognizing that God cares for you. You know, I know we believe in the sovereignty of God, and I preach a a message from Scripture that God's in control. He's sovereign in our salvation. He saves us because he chooses to do that. But don't let that woo you into a state of passivity. The Christian life is one where we trust that God is in control of everything, And while we're trusting in that and we're comforted by that Romans 8, 28, God is working all things together for the good dynamic, at the same time, we're called to cast care upon the Lord. It's human responsibility. You know, one of my sort of spiritual challenges, one of my chief spiritual challenges is to think about things from work at home. I know this is personal with me, but anyway, to actually bring my work home, not always, you know, practically bringing it home, but mentally bringing it home, and to churn about things in my mind, and just to deliberate and turn them over in my mind. And I was out, you know, and I don't do this very often, I probably should do it more, but I was out skiing with my friend who was speaking at men's retreat this last weekend, routed Alaska sort of brought into this other world. It was beautiful. Warm breezes, powdery snow, and, you know, nice little intermediate slopes for me to survive on and chase him down the hill. And it was a great time. You know, skiing, I mean, competing, I mean, skiing together. And we had a great time. But we were talking about this issue about worrying and carrying things home. And he said, well, the issue is you can't just say, I'm not going to think about those things. You have to replace those thoughts with something else, like going skiing. And actually, it works. I mean, when I'm skiing and I'm trying to just keep my right knee from busting an ACL, I'm not thinking about work. I mean, it's fantastic. i got to be going downhill fast, chasing somebody who's just enough better at skiing than me that pushes me to do the best that I possibly can. Well, I'm not thinking about work at that time. I'm thinking about surviving. But you can't ski all the time. Right? Put you in the poorhouse to ski all the time. So how do you live this out? Well, you've got to replace anxiety and worry with prayer. That's what Paul is saying. You either are an active worrier or you're an active prayer. Um, a worrier is not a prayer. If you meet somebody that's riddled in worry and guilt and fear, they're really not praying well. They might say they're praying all the time, but they're not. It's like oil and water or fire and water. It's contrastive. You're either a praying person or you're a worrying person. You're either casting your cares and you're that kind of person knowing God cares for you or you are worrying. You say, I don't have time to pray. Well, how much time do you have to worry? If you're worrying, that is the time that you should be praying. So you make a choice, one or the other. And I choose prayer. I choose this. It's being someone who seeks God with specific supplication. 
not just generic prayers, not just God help me, God help me, but God help me with this particular thing, with this particular thought, with this particular line of reasoning. Help me through this conversation. Help me through this meeting. Help my attitude right now. God's not going to change your circumstances necessarily. He's not even going to give you the answer that you want necessarily. Lord, change this circumstance. But he will give you peace. He will get you through. He will answer this prayer to help you rid yourself of anxiety. That's the promise of this text. I love what one person alluded to in terms of specific prayer. Mark chapter 10 verse 51 speaks of blind Bartimaeus. Remember that story? Jesus is walking through the town and blind Bartimaeus is on the side of the road and he's crying out to the Lord saying, you know, son of David, have mercy on me. And he's just sort of interrupting the moment. Probably the apostles are going, oh God, quiet down, you know. Get a hold of yourself, you know. Stop interrupting this parade. This is the son of God. Yes, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus calls him through the apostles. The apostles are going, okay, you can come over here and talk to Jesus. So he excitedly comes up. And Jesus asks him a very specific question. Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do? He's asking him that question because he wants Bartimaeus to exercise faith. That's the whole point of the text is your faith has made you well. He wants him to exercise faith. What does faith look like for Bartimaeus? Specifically detailing what he wanted Jesus to do for him. Now, we, God knows all our needs, and he's going to provide for us according to his riches and glory. That's why we're supposed to seek first his kingdom. He knows our needs. He knows how to feed us. He knows how to clothe us. Clothe us. He knows how to provide shelter for us. He'll meet your need. But we're not twisting God's arm to do that. We're just exercising faith by detailing before the throne of God what we want him to help us with. And Bartimaeus said, I'd like to be able to see. And so Jesus healed him on the spot. Your faith has made you well. Because it gave glory to God because Bartimaeus was exercising faith. And that's the issue. God wants you with your anxieties to detail for him what you want. Not once, but ongoingly. In a casting your cares upon the Lord sort of way. Turn to Psalm 55. Psalm 55 is the same verse and promise or same concept and promise of First Peter and Philippians 4. Psalm 55. I hadn't really meditated on this passage before now but it's the same idea psalm 55 verse 22 the psalmist says cast your burden on the lord here's the promise and he will sustain you he will never permit the righteous to be moved did jesus live this out remember the garden of gethsemane we talk about this scene a lot but it's a very important one because it's the prayer It's the activity of prayer on display in our Lord. He knew God's plan was for him to go to the cross. He knew he needed to go to the cross. He knew that he was commanded by the Heavenly Father to go to the cross. But he had pressure in his life that he needed to unfurl and release onto his Heavenly Father. And that's what he did. That's how he got through. Because it wasn't just physical pain for a day. It was All of the wrath of God against the world's sin laid on him through those hours. So Jesus was desperate in his humanity to get through something that was extraordinarily difficult. What did he do? Well, Hebrews 5, 7 
talking about what Jesus did, put it this way. Jesus offered prayer, same word here, and supplications with loud cries and tears. And I love the promise here. Did God reroute the plan? No. Hebrews 5, 7 says of Jesus, and Jesus, or he, was heard. That's what got Jesus through. Jesus was heard. What's going to get you through your trial, your difficulty, your issue, what you're dealing with, what you're churning over even this morning? You need to know as a believer, as a son or daughter of God, that your Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ, who is right there at hand with you, is hearing you, is listening to you. He'll get you through. You want to know. Who wants to know? I want to be heard by my Father. We all do. We are, we're all blind Bartimaeus going, Son of David, have mercy on me. Help me. Hear me. And as you cast, as you unload your backpack onto the Lord, God will bring a promise to play in your life that will get you through. What's the promise? Go back to Philippians 4. Philippians 4, verse 7. This is the promise. Not that your circumstances will change or even your prayer will be answered, but, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. There's kind of a, you know, a, a book ending here with this idea. Look at verse 9. Um, we're going to talk about it next week. But the God of peace will be with you. So the peace of God is entering into your life, and the author of that peace, Jesus himself, will be with you. Now, he's in your life, but by actively supplicating the throne of God, praying, entreating the throne of God, you are moving into God's promise and blessing. You want a promise that's guaranteed in your life to be fulfilled in your life right now? Begin to cast cares upon him. Because as you do that, God's promise uploads in your life and he cares for you. And he gives you irene, peace. In the, in the Hebrew, it's shalom. Remember in Isaiah how God himself is called what? The son of God is called the prince of peace. He's the God of peace. Now this is one commentator put it. This isn't, you know, God gives you a marshmallow. <laughs> It's John Stott, I think. I mean, kind of a serious commentator. And, whoa, what? You know, it's not God gives you a marshmallow. It's not just a warm feeling through a tough time. No. Peace represents the warrior king has conquered something on your behalf. You have the confidence that God is in control of your life. And he's protecting you. And he's guarding you through difficult time. The word, word picture here is... A sentry or a guard is given to your hearts and your minds. And it's something that surpasses all understanding. What does that mean? From verse 7, it's peace that surpasses. This is not Paul saying, by the way, that as Christians you can't grasp this concept. It's so remarkable that you couldn't get your arms around it. I mean, there could be a sense of that. It's, it's surpassing. It's, it's authoritatively bigger. But what does it mean? I think what Paul is saying here is that as a believer, you have access to something that the world can't even grasp. The natural mind doesn't understand the things of the Spirit of God. Uh, the the non-Christian, the unbeliever, doesn't know this peace. 
I'm not talking in terms of being elitist or looking down at other people. They just don't know it. They don't have it. This is a rare jewel in the Christian life. You have something that unbelievers don't have. Unbelievers don't have prayer relationship with the Father. An unbeliever can pray one prayer, and that is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Um, save me, God, from my sins. And, and that unbeliever becomes saved and then enters into a father-son, father-daughter relationship. In that relationship, as believers, we have something that surpasses the understanding of the human mind. We have peace. We have the mind of Christ. We have the Holy Spirit uh, creating fruit in our lives. We experience the kingdom of God, which is not just eating and drinking. It's righteousness, what? Peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We have kingdom, heavenly atmosphere in our hearts where we go, life's hard, I hate this, this is very difficult, this is very hurtful, this isn't going away, I wish the circumstance was different, and so God, I'm giving it to you repeatedly over and over again, I'm committed to this exercise and this discipline, instead of spiraling in depressive worry, I'm challenged in my own heart to give this to you and God floods your heart with peace that protects your heart and your mind he made you he's the architect of you you think he knows how to protect you he made you emotional he made your temperament he made your genetic makeup he made your circumstances he made your heart your mind your will your emotions he made your inner man and so he knows how to keep you solid through tough times that don't make sense. The guard, Paul's sitting in house arrest around Roman guards. He's looking at their weaponry. He's using that illustratively to say, God guards you. He keeps you from going backwards. If you're going backwards in the Christian life, catch up by giving your burdens in specificity to God, and he'll give you that peace and strength and protection in your life. It's really trading one activity of worry for another, which is prayer. It's not escapism. It's not clever psychology. It's not marshmallow. It's this. It's the gospel. Let me just speak to you if you don't know the Lord. If you've not yet met the Prince of Peace, which I have every assumption that all of you are Christians, but let's just say someone's walked in or you are evaluating yourself and saying, I've never experienced this peace. Perhaps the reason that you don't know peace yet is you've not yet met Jesus. Jesus is not yet at hand in your life, near to you. You don't yet understand what it's like to give things to God because you've never met the one who will receive those things. Well, peace is all founded on one thing, and that's found in Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. This is talking about Jesus, for in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Is Jesus God? Yes, Scripture says so. And through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or in, I'm sorry, on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. The foundation for your practical peace is all founded in the Prince of Peace, where he's reconciled you first and foremost to himself. Where you don't have a sin barrier anymore. You're not under the wrath judgment of God. You're reconciled. You know you're his. We still sin, we still blow up, but we're his no matter what. You got that foundationally nailed, then you got peace in your life or a foundation for it. And the way to 
upload that in your life is to cast cares upon him and take him at his word that you have a relationship with God and he cares for you and he loves you and he's going to deal with the matters in your life as they happen. So first you've got to know the Prince of Peace and be reconciled to God and then you have to actively trust the Prince of Peace as a Christian. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for time in your word. We thank you for...